from the Catholic underground. This episode, the Holy Eucharist, who it is, what it isn't, and why it matters. The Catholic underground starts right now. Oh yes, my friends, you have hit the play button on the Catholic Underground. We are the podcast cutting through the noise and bringing you the topics that matter. It's episode number 450 for those of you who are keeping score. I'm Father Chris Decker, a priest of the Diocese of Baton Rouge, and joining me by all odds, it's Kathleen Lee. I am here. <laughs> she is totally here. Olivia Galino also here. It's true. From all points in between and now here in the studio again. Yes, in the flesh. Glad Hello. to have you. Glad to have you back. Yay! Yeah, she's been on assignment for quite a while here. And if we go, up, if we go up to space, Jeff Blackwell is very much manually riding the board with effort precision, effortless precision, uh, effort-filled precision. It's Jeff. You, you had it right the first time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Good to be here, Father. Yeah, he makes it look so easy. And then Ed Ball in uh, the Jeff Star two and a half, I guess. There you uh, go. Yeah. Um, uh, next door, running the video for us. And uh, for those of you who uh, have been joining us on the stream, it has been a very interesting um, discussion in the chat rooms, yeah. as well as some technical issues for us to get on the air. But let me tell you, uh, the reason that I think we had so much trouble actually going out live mm-hmm. was because we're talking about something very important, yep. right? Absolutely. And and that would be the the source and summit of our faith, the Eucharist, uh, mm-hmm. as I said at the at the top, who it is, what it isn't, and why it matters. Yeah. And uh, and so we thought we would uh, we would just kind of jump right in and uh, and start talking about why the Eucharist is important yeah. and where it comes from, where the notion of it comes from. Mm-hmm. And it's not just something that we that we made up because we had nothing better to do right. during the dark ages, but no, the, the Eucharist actually comes to us from himself, the Eucharist himself, Jesus Christ. And so we jump into John's gospel, I think, is probably the most famous way to begin before we even really treat the Last Supper discourse, right? The Bread of Life discourse is really where this gets unpacked for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you you ever, like, it's funny how we as Catholics, we, we look at all these documents, we listen to all these saints, which are great. You know, all these leaders in our church, which are, are beautiful examples. But mm-hmm. oftentimes we're like, we totally forget the idea that Jesus said it himself. Right. You know, that if you go back to what Jesus said, he lays it out there. You right. know, like, well, this, you know, in circle call says blah, blah. And it's like, that's great. Mm-hmm. But if none of that goes back to the source. Right. You know, of what it is that we are doing, what it is that we are partaking in, who it is that we are receiving. Yeah then what are we doing you know so that, this is a reminder just for everybody when you're you know we and we talk about this all the time on on the show there are so many sources out there mm-hmm. that tell us all kinds of things and if we're if we are um if we are not aware yeah we can be convinced of things that we quote unquote believe yeah that aren't really true you and know, then the like, eucharist look, go back to the to the scripture then the eucharist just becomes another what is it right another thing rather than yes. Uh, yeah. The person Jesus Christ veiled under exactly. a sacrament, yeah. and it's really interesting in John chapter six that before Jesus begins to tell us about the bread of life, he he multiplies the the loaves and the fishes. So mm-hmm. as as John chapter six opens up, he he is he is feeding the people with um, you know m- more well more than six months' wages. You know, he's yeah. like the people are hungry. We don't have enough way to we don't have enough uh, money to get bread for them. We we can't. We want to dismiss them to go get something themselves. 
And so Jesus says, all right, well, have everybody sit down. And then he takes the loaves and the fish and he gives thanks and he breaks it. It's passed around and mm-hmm. it's, it's miraculously multiplied. That is a different instance than when Jesus says that he is the bread of life. So mm-hmm. after they have eaten you know, to their fill and there are baskets left over, Right there are mm-hmm. uh, five barley loaves and and two fish. The the there are twelve baskets that are left over, and of course we know that the twelve baskets is itself a a, a numerological number mm-hmm. that speaks of the the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve apostles that are going to represent those tribes, mm-hmm. and then what Jesus is going to do by means of this symbol of this multiplication of feeding people to the point where they're you know up to their neck and being yeah. full. You know they yeah. have been satisfied abundantly, mm-hmm. then Jesus begins to, to go into the notion of what it is to receive bread from heaven. Well, and actually it's interesting because before he gets into the bread of life discourse, he actually walks on water. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like when, I love this this account that John gives, um, like the, the disciples are in the boat yeah. alone and Jesus is not with them. And it says that they're like three or four miles like into the Sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus is walking on water and he's like, I think it says like he means to pass them by or something. Yeah. It's like, well, where was he going? But anyway, um, but it's when he says like, ego me, it is I, mm-hmm. right? He uses the divine name. It's like him it's saying right. like Yahweh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, do not be afraid. And so you add all of that together, the multiplication of the loaves and the fish, even the baskets, right? The 12, right. they're not just like 12 of anything, they're 12 baskets. The walking on water, yeah, a miracle involving water. And all of that is a reminder of Moses, Mm -hmm. right? And it's a representation of the miracles involving Moses. And the the reminder to, or the, the reality that Jesus is this new Moses, right? He's going to not only provide for them, but be the new bread from heaven, mm-hmm. right? He's going to provide for them a, a way through and out of their current slavery. But now the slavery is not a physical bondage, it's a bondage in sin, right? And he is not only going to lead them into like just a new physical place, right? But into the promised land, into the heavenly reality. Yep. But it's going to happen through eating a different kind of food, Mm-hmm. Right. And they have to come to grips with that because like the, you're going to see in the bread of life discourse, they they're they're totally on board with the fact that he's the new Moses. They're like, yeah, we, we're with they you. They get that. Yeah. yeah. They're like, they have no Which is also with that. why they know at some point they're going to be fed. Yeah. And yeah. so quite possibly they think that the feeding with the manna is or the feeding of the 5000 is that feeding. Yeah. You know, because, well, we, we're, we're out here in the, the middle of the grassland. Right. And. And he's fed us, and so full on Moses. He is totally yeah. Moses. But the, the the reason they think that it's going to keep happening is because it happened every day in the desert for right. forty years, mm-hmm. and so they're like, okay, so tomorrow, same yeah. time. That's right. Right? Quail in the evening. What's up? That's right. Right? But Jesus has to kind of redirect their attention mm-hmm. and say, no, 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 this is I am I am the bread of life. And so that's what he does. Jesus says, uh, and it, and it really uh, kind of. Uh, hits me now that as I'm seeing, he goes, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. No. Because I think that's exactly what they're doing. They're like, okay, so loaves yesterday, yeah, loaves tomorrow, loaves today. You yeah. Know? Says that it's it, they want more than a sign, and he's like, mm -hmm. okay, well then you're going to get more than a sign. Mm -hmm. You'll get the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And of course, then they say, well, yeah, what, what do we what do we got to do? <laughs> what do we got to do? And then that's when Jesus kind of begins to to turn a different direction than what they're expecting. Yeah, they're expecting just to him to make it rain manna. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're expecting uh, another multiplication event, but. But he says, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus doesn't say, well, here it is in, in my basket. You know, right, right, right. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Everything the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And Jesus then goes on to say that this is the will of, of God the Father, is that Jesus doesn't lose anybody. And he says, this is the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And so then the Jews begin to complain. Which yeah. I mean, classic. <laughs> yeah. Jesus drops the bomb on them and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I right. have something to say about this. Exactly. How, you know, how are you the, the bread of life, mm -hmm. right? Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I have come down from heaven? It's not so much that he's saying that he's the bread of life, yeah. but also that he has come down from heaven. Right. They kind of skirt the real heart of his teaching. Yeah. And they go for the what they already know to be familiar about him. They like Jesus, son of Joseph. We know his father and his mother. We're, we're not really comfortable with the bread of life thing yet, and that he is the bread of life. So right. we'll go with what we know, and is, that's a very human thing. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus, one of the things I I love about our Lord is that he typically, the reason he says Amen twice, he always doubles down whenever God is speaking, mm -hmm. and and there should be no um, confusion about what is right. being said. You know. He'll say, amen, amen, I say to you, or very truly, verily mm -hmm. I say to you. And, and so they, he, he's, he speaks very clearly to them um, after they're trying to figure out who he is. Like, we, we know his parents. We know yeah. his parentage. We know where he came, from. he came from. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Mm. And that's the clincher. This yeah. is where my brothers and sisters, we get the notion of what the Eucharist will be. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and it is, it is so cataclysmic to the, the followers of Jesus, uh, especially the, the Jewish followers of Jesus. He says, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And he says, very truly, I tell you, <laughs> amen, amen, mm -hmm. I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. 
Just as a living father sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus said this while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So he was, all, he was not saying this, you know, on, on the yeah. grassy field. Yeah. He was saying this in the synagogue, in the place of teaching as, as a yeah. rabbi. And yeah. I love this discourse and I love what John is doing even in his gospel here is because Jesus is a teacher. Yeah. He has taken, he's laid the, the, the foundations for everything that he's kind of culminating in this bread of life discourse. And he's referring back to it. He's like taking a thread and tying it all together mm-hmm. and showing them like, okay, let's piece all of this together. You already mm-hmm. have all of the puzzle pieces. Now let's put them together yeah. and let's weave this tapestry. That's right. Don't you see? Yep. And it's not that they don't see, it's that it's hard, mm-hmm. right? Because that'll come next, right? Many of his disciples who were listening said, the saying is hard, who can accept it? Yeah. It's not that they don't get it. It's and the problem is difficult. they get it. Yeah, yeah, they do get it. They understand, mm-hmm. but it, it's hard for that to reconcile with what they already know and how they already live. Yeah. Right. But Jesus is a master teacher here. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant what he's doing. That's right. And, and he just continues to drive it home. Like whenever your parents tell you something over and over again in the hopes that you'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> this is what Jesus is doing. He's like, I know you get it. I know it's a hard teaching and I know that you probably don't understand all the way around it, but if indeed I am the Messiah, if I am, if I indeed am yeah. who am, then the son of man will give you this. Yeah. this. This is something that he wants you to have. And this is going to be a linchpin of your belief in uh, the son of man so that you may have eternal life. Like the, all of these things are all lined up together mm-hmm. that you can't have eternal life without believing in Jesus. You can't truly believe that Jesus is who he is unless you do what he says, right? Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life. Yeah. You can't separate any of those things out. Yeah. And so the the way that, uh, that, that Jesus then makes this happen, if you will, is at the Last Supper discourse while they're eating from Matthew's Gospel, chapter twenty-six. It's in it's in uh, Matthew and in, in Luke. And does Mark have a? Um, uh, it, it doesn't. One of them doesn't have a, a complete Last Supper discourse. John certainly doesn't. But um, I but don't. I don't know. Mar- oh, Mark Mark fourteen, I believe, does right. If I'm if I'm, yeah, it's Mark fourteen. They all do. Sorry, that's my uh, my Catholic Bible brain not mm-hmm. kicking in. But in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Hmm. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed on behalf of many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is making it very clear that the connection between this teaching that he is the bread of life, he will give his flesh and his blood for the life of the world, you must eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man if you wish to have eternal life. This is how he makes it happen. Mm-hmm. He takes the Passover meal, which they certainly were um, acquainted with. They were celebrating it every year. And he transforms this Paschal meal into a sacrifice that is himself. Mm-hmm. It is the, the unbloody offering here at the Last Supper that then is infused, if you will, with the power of his bloody sacrifice offered on the cross once and for all. Yeah. 
And that is how, and as much as we can understand how the, <laughs> the Son of God can do these things, this is how he makes this possible for us. Yeah. And there is, there is no, there's no way to, to look at this and go, oh, well, this was just symbolic. Oh, well, he couldn't have meant that. Yeah. That's exactly what the Jewish disciples uh, of Jesus were saying. He couldn't have meant this. And they left. Many left. Yeah. And so he turns to the 12, the ones who are represented by the baskets, and he says, what about you? Are you also going to leave? And I tell you, Peter, Peter speaks to my heart because I know as a priest mm. so many times I go, well, Lord, where else am I going to go? Yeah. You have the words of eternal life. If you said it, then not only would I do well to believe it, but I must believe it yeah. because I desire eternal life. If this is all there is, then yeah. ugh. But, but if you're telling me that the way to have eternal life, not just simply to lie in death and in my own misery, is to receive you in the way that you're telling me you're going to do it, I'll do it. Yeah. You know, and so even though they run at the scandal of the cross, they reconstitute themselves and they they do exactly what he has commissioned them to do, what he has ordained them to do. Mm -hmm. And I think what's beautiful is, you know, kind of going back to the difficulty of the teaching. It's difficult because it requires the Jews to sort of shift the way that they had been thinking about um, some of their dietary laws. Mm -hmm. You know, like going back to Leviticus, they weren't, uh, they were prohibited from eating things that um, had blood in them because they believed that the life of something was in the blood. Mm -hmm. So if you ate the blood of, you know, a, a pig, then mm -hmm. you had that animal's life in you and mm -hmm. that would make you unclean, ritually mm -hmm. speaking. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like even just forgetting the fact that like Jesus is asking them to eat his blood, which yeah. is, you know, has a whole other right. set of issues yeah um the blood is an issue mm -hmm. right for them but that's exactly the point here right. is that like knowing know, full well the yeah. belief that that you all have about the dietary laws you need my life in, in this case the life is certainly in my blood yeah. yeah and and he knew that they knew it yeah and and so that's what we celebrate whenever we go to the sacrifice of the mass mm -hmm. the mass is not simply a banquet meal um, like you would go to a wedding reception, yeah. although there is an element of wedding banquet to what we're what we're doing. We're mm -hmm. eating and drinking. Yeah. But most importantly, that there is a, a sacrificial nature. It is a sacrifice that we are going to when we go to mass. Yeah. And that gets lost and certainly in our modern interpretation of liturgy so many times, yeah. um, especially, you know, in the world in which we live today, because everything kind of reads as stagecraft. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're not careful, everything reads as stagecraft because we have become a culture that is so um, kind of in, uh, indoctrinated by the entertainment culture. But what the priest is doing is he is going up to offer sacrifice, just as those first apostles did. And yeah. the banquet part is that we go to the altar and we receive the Lord himself. Yeah. Right. But it is no less a sacrifice. So we say that uh, just to kind of give a sense of, of where the Eucharist comes from. It comes from Jesus himself. Um, he says it very clearly. And, uh, and we are, we are um, bound as Christians to, uh, to believe it. In fact, the, the Catechism says that the Eucharist is the source and the summit of Christian life. The other sacraments and all ministries and works of the apostolate 
are bound up with the Eucharist and oriented towards it. We, we would often say that they are sacramental, right? They point mm-hmm. towards the Eucharist. All of the power that Mother Church has comes from Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. That is the electric dynamo, if you will, that is the never-ending source of the, the true power that the church has. I often tell, ask my parishioners, say, well, what's the most expensive thing in the church? They'll go, well, the tabernacle, that's that's probably a precious metal. What about the chalice? Uh, you know, uh, in, in the parish that I'll be going to in New Roads, Louisiana, you can Google it, um, St. Mary's, we have a, a chalice from the 16th century. Mm. And so surely they must think, well, this has got to be, no, no, the most, the most expensive and priceless thing that we have is contained in that little white host. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus Christ, the infinite one who makes himself finite, yeah. you know, uh, so that we can we can consume him and that we might have life, that we can become those spiritual dynamos. Yeah. And and that's what, what the catechism is getting at. The Eucharist is uh, an efficacious sign. So it is a sign that signifies what, what you're looking at, right? Yeah. It, it affects what it signifies, and it is the cause of that communion and the divine life and that unity of the people of God by which the church is kept in being. So without the Eucharist, we cease to be the church. Without the Eucharist, the Catholic Church does not exist. So, so think about that. Why is the Eucharist under attack today? Why is it being made into a political football? It's because without the Eucharist, the church does not exist. And you know who knows that? Satan knows that. Mm-hmm. And so it'll stir up all sorts of things. And right now the political engines are, are the most, um, the, it's, that's, that's the high school gossip that everybody yeah. pays attention to. It's the loudest, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, of course, of course, if the Eucharist is the source and summit of our power yeah. as the church, and not power in a sense of like lording it over people, mm-hmm. but the source and summit of everything that animates us, of course, is going to be under attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, you look at the church and the faithful it's, itself, like there's like a 2019 Pew Research uh, report that says only one third of, of Catholics believe in what the church teaches about the Eucharist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so one third of, of people who, who are baptized Catholic you know, are on board. Two thirds yeah. are not. Are fine so, with are, thinking of it as a yeah, symbol right? at its best yeah. right. and, and so even, optional at its worst. Yeah. So right? even when the faithful aren't, you know, for a, for a myriad of reasons, they aren't catechized well, they, you know, they just, you know, stray away from that belief and they, their own personal beliefs overtake that, you know, that teaching of the church for whatever reason, you know, when the church isn't strong, and the faithful, mm-hmm. right, and the faithful and the people who make up the church um, aren't strong in their belief, well, then, shoot, like I said earlier, it's it's easier, like, we can be told and taught things about our own faith that aren't actually true, Yeah, you know, and we can believe, oh, you uh, really? That's that's yeah. Jesus? Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. It is kind of just, I mean, it doesn't taste like Jesus. I don't know what, you know, like, I yeah. guess not. Like, that's yeah. kind of a strange thing. But, like, man, like, that's... That is where I think, um, you know, a lot of this turmoil, mm-hmm. right, is is rooted in the faithful and, and our unbelief, our doubt, our, yeah. you know. And so we, we have to go back to Jesus in the bread of life discourse, the, the part that doesn't always get uh, spoken of, yeah. is John 6, chapter, or John 6, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, 
Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. Mm-hmm. And he's not talking about his flesh, because yeah. this is one of those points of contention. Yeah. He's talking about if you're just kind of believing what's there in front of you, and that and and not that that the Spirit of God can give life however he wishes, including through the, the bread and wine that are going to become my flesh and blood then, then you're, you're not getting the picture. He says, but among you there are some who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the first who were the ones who did not believe and who was the one who would betray him. And he said, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. John 6, verse 66. Mm. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. Like that, that's exactly where we find ourselves today. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I often quote uh, Flannery O'Connor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the great Southern writer, whenever... Someone at a dinner party says, I love you Catholics and, and your Eucharist. What a beautiful symbol. Mm. She says, if it's just a symbol, then to hell with it. Yeah. Yeah. But if indeed it is the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then I don't presume myself worthy to receive it. In fact, yeah. I know that I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't deserve it. <laughs> I'm not entitled to the Eucharist. Yeah. You know, there, there's nothing in me that, that has any inkling whatsoever to say, gimme. Yeah. yeah. That's that's not that's not what I'm called to do when I come to the Eucharist. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's Benedict who he writes a, a beautiful book on um, called God is Near Us on like Eucharistic theology, mm-hmm. but in it um, he talks about how like when you encounter Jesus in the Eucharist, there is no way like ontologically there is no way to encounter Jesus in the Eucharist mm-hmm. and be unchanged. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you are in whether the. Like, whether you understand it, believe it, mm-hmm. accept it or not, you are encountering the God of the universe. That's right. The one that made you. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in love, you're encountering him. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't, can't receive that love, don't accept it, whatever. And so there's no way to leave that encounter unchanged. That's correct. Which is, of course, why we can adore the Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm. And we can receive graces from it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, every time, Every time we look at the Blessed Sacrament then the Lord wishes to impart grace. In, in a sense, uh, kind of a mini proto-communion within us, you know, the, that look of love. That, that We think that we're looking at the Eucharist, but he's looking back at us. Mm-hmm. And, and that, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is exactly what all this is about, which is why we're on the air here saying that the, the Eucharist is not just, it's not a symbol, it is Jesus himself, and as such, if it is the God who made us, if it is the God of the universe, if it is the one who makes himself, and I love this, this phrase from St. John the 23rd, the prisoner of love, right? Mm-hmm. He, he, he makes himself so that we can receive him in, in a physical form, though veiled by a sacrament, then, then we have to jettison everything that, that now all of the media pundits are speaking about because many of them do not believe that the Eucharist is anything other than a token, yep. right? And, and, and therefore can be, just can be dismissed or everyone's entitled. Yeah. The Eucharist is, is not that. The Eucharist is Jesus Christ. And if it is Jesus Christ, then we must beg yeah. to come into the presence of the Lord. Well, uh, we hope uh, you don't have to do too much begging for the other part of the Catholic Underground. We'll be right back, so stay right where you are. Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. 
To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. found the Catholic Underground, and we're glad to be with you. I'm Father Chris Decker, joined by Kathleen Lee, Olivia Galino. I almost forgot your last name there, but I got your first name right. Kevin. Uh, <laughs> up, in, name. up in space, we got Jeff Blackwell, and then Ed is also uh, running the video for us. And uh, In the pit. That's right, in the pit. By hook uh, or by crook, we're here. Yep, that <laughs> yeah. is true. We are. It was, it was a lot to get us here, but we are here we with you here. and we're glad that we are we've been talking about the eucharist and uh, certainly who the eucharist is and what it isn't right it's not just a token it's not just mm-hmm. a symbol it's not just a sign but it is the person jesus christ who who gives us freely of himself and of course we know that that through um through jesus's own words the eucharist comes about we know through his saving action on the cross we are able to receive the the merits of that sacrifice we're able to receive all the graces of that sacrifice anytime you walk into a church oftentimes it is said that oh well well you catholics you sacrifice jesus over and over and over again well no Mm. um no because the liturgy is entering into the moment Mm. right uh, we're entering into the moment of Calvary. Jesus, because he is Lord of time, that one sacrifice shed once and for all for the, the forgiveness of sins, the, the, the power from that moment, the saving action from that moment is then imparted to us here in time, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just a historical recreation. It's not like, you know, um, uh, a war recreation that, that you would do on a, on a field somewhere. Right, no. yeah. This is us actually at Calvary with the Blessed Mother, with John the Apostle, with ev- all of the, uh, the saints who have gone before us. I'm reminded also of Justin Martyr, Justin Martyr who lived between 153 and 155. So the church was brand new. He says, and this food is called among us Eucharistia, the Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake, but the man who believes that the things which we teach are true, and who has been washed with the washing that is for the remission of sins, and unto regeneration, who is so living as Christ has enjoined. For not as common bread and common drink do we receive these, but in like manner as Jesus Christ our Savior, having been made flesh by the word of God, had both flesh and blood for our salvation. So likewise have we been taught that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word and from which our blood and flesh uh, by transmutation are nourished is the flesh and blood of that Jesus who was made flesh. Mm. That was from his first apologia, uh, apology to the faith, right? His first explaining of the faith. And this was in the first 150 years of the church. And and this comes, of course, too, from right off the heels of of St. Paul, who yeah. who um who writes well i i'm paul i'm i'm an apostle i'm not the messiah i'm not hermes i'm not right, zeus right. you know but i am an apostle and i myself hand on to you what i received yeah. that that on the night before he died and he goes through the words of institution uh the the words of consecration we call them as well that i'm not the author of any of this paul says but i'm just simply handing on what I've received. We call that traditio, tradition, the mm-hmm. handing down. Yeah, and that's kind of, I think, a hang-up that um, 
some non-Catholics have is, why can't I receive? Why can't mm -hmm. I receive the Eucharist? Mm -hmm. And it's not a well, you're not in the club, so you don't yeah. get to, you know, you All don't right. get to be in the in the, you know, don't get to partake because you're not in the club. It's what is the? And we were talk. We'll talk about this as well. Even Catholics, like, mm -hmm. what is our, you know, disposition to receive that? Yeah. You know, if I would never suppose to go to another faith and, you know, and partake in some of their practices because I I can't appreciate what it is fully that I'm that I'm partaking in you know I, yeah. I don't necessarily believe what I'm partaking in you know so it's not a this is one of those instances where you know I think it's like this well everybody gets to have everything that they want no yeah. it's not and it's not a an exclusion because of course as we know non-catholics and you know catholics who are not ready to receive communion which we'll talk about again in a minute but like are all welcome to come to the mass yeah you know but it's what is it that you are receiving mm -hmm. and what is it do you believe about that you know are you in a state that you can fully receive that right yeah. well i think we have to understand too like what so you're talking about like the the eucharist is the source and summit of the christian life mm -hmm. and and of the sacraments it's the highest but the sacraments themselves are an invitation into mysterion, into yep. the inner life of God. Mm -hmm. And we even call the mass the sacred mysteries. Right. Right. Think about like when the priest says that at the beginning of mass or like, like think about like the sacraments of initiation. What am I being initiated into? The sacred mysteries. Mm -hmm. Right. There's there's a, a there is a, a kind of level of exclusion and inclusion, but not to the point of like. This is our club. You can't be a part of this. So yeah, get out. Right. Yeah. right. But like there's a certain kind of like step into this level of mystery. Right. Um, we want you here. Absolutely. Right. But there's a there's a, a process. Correct. Right. Um, and I it, it comes from like a, a deeper knowledge of a deeper immersion in the communion. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's what relationship is really all about. If you knew everything all at once at one time about your spouse, some would say, well, that would be very helpful for me. Yeah. <laughs> but that also wouldn't be the basis of a relationship. Yeah. Because the basis of relationship involves a, a, a further in you know, you're, it's, it's, it's going deeper into something that is ultimately quite mysterious. For any, think about any relationship that you've ever been in. That's truly, it could be just a friendly relationship. There are still things about friends that I do not know that are very close friends. And perhaps we share a deep level of intimacy, but, but they're, ultimately that other person is mysterious to me. Mm -hmm. And it is the same way whenever we go to Mass, if, if a person who is not Catholic comes to, to Mass, immediately they're struck by the otherness of this. Mm -hmm. And because they're struck by the otherness, we take St. Paul very much at his word. St. Paul said um, in, um, in 1 Corinthians, uh, right after he talks about how he's handing on what he himself has received, he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. Now, this is this is not saying, well, you know, um, you can't come to Holy Communion because you obviously are unworthy. No, not at all. This is to this because is aren't basic, we all like right? All yeah. of us are, are yeah, unworthy. Yeah, exactly. But what Saint Paul is saying here is that we ought to discern and understand 
the depth of the mystery that we're entering into. Mm-hmm. And this is why the church, in her wisdom, has, from the very beginning, had the rite of Christian initiation, where a person can enter into these mysteries little by little, piece by piece, not because they're secret and we don't want anybody to know about them, but because we want people to understand the depth of the relationship with their God that they're yeah. entering into. And I think Fulton Sheen in his meditations on the last words of Christ in a little like pamphlet mm-hmm. called Calvary and the Mass, he's got a section on communion that I think really in uh, shed some light on this. Um, it's at the end of that particular section. He says, um, there can be no ascent to a higher life without death to a lower one. Mm-hmm. Right? Cause like when I go to communion, that's what's happening, right? I am communing with the God of the universe who comes to me in love, right? And I have to die to a former self. Yeah. Does not an Easter Sunday presuppose a good Friday? Mm-hmm. Does not all love imply mutual self-giving, which ends in self-recovery? Yeah. This being so, should not the communion rail be a place of exchange mm-hmm. instead of a place of exclusive receiving? is all the life to pass from Christ to us and nothing to go back in return? Are we to drain the chalice and contribute nothing to its filling? Ooh. Like, <laughs> like there's a part after that where he talked, I, I didn't include this on the quote that I used for something, um, where he talks about being a parasite on the mystical body of Christ. Oh, wow. And like, <sighs> yeah, that into the last like thing I want to be is a barnacle, you know? But the point being yeah. that like, it is true communion and, and like you're talking about a relationship, it's mutual exchange of love. That's right. And so when we go to communion, like Kathleen was saying, like I don't go to another church and actively participate in their rites, their rituals, because I don't believe in their practices and in their dogmas and whatever. And so I cannot with my body say, yes, I believe in these things, Correct. my participation. Yeah. So when I go to communion, I have to actively give right. with my heart, with my actions, with yes. my my full self, myself to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And if I can't do that, then I cannot receive communion. Right. The, then I am not discerning the body. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I am not giving freely and completely of myself. Yeah. And and that comes from understanding as best as we can what Christ Himself has taught through the 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 body that He has given the Church rather than me just kind of sidling into a, a Catholic uh, worship service, yeah. as, the, as it is often called, and saying, well, at my church we do this, so therefore I must be able to do it. Well, no, we believe very different things. Oftentimes they're similar, but still very different. And I don't want, I don't want to put anybody's soul in danger because I'm dispensing the Eucharist to them, which they can't completely return right. what our Lord is, is attempting to give. And, and that, I mean, that is, that is very difficult because it involves, in the world today, it involves us saying, well, n- no, not yet. Mm-hmm. Not, no, not ever. But, but no, uh, take, a, take a moment, take this time of discernment, and truly, if you wish to understand why the church does what she does, then step into that, that beautiful, deep pool <laughs> that is the treasury of our faith, yeah. rather than just trying to kind of... Um, uh, say, well, I, I'm Catholic because I say it today. Yeah. Well, no, if we can't profess the creed and mean everything that we we say, then then there is an impasse where we're not going to be able to give ourselves completely in relationship as well. So uh, one of the, the things that, that we can talk about perhaps is, is receiving the Eucharist reverently. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't until 1905, actually, believe it or not, that uh, Pope Pius X, now Pope St. Pius X, 
um, who he was the one who advocated the frequent reception of Holy Communion. Of course, the precept of the church is that one only need receive Holy Communion once a year. And yeah. in his document, Sacra Cerdentina, he gives a little understanding, some historical context for why that became the practice. Um, that's still the precept of the church today, that you're only required to receive the Eucharist once a year. And that so, might be like shocking to people. It, it's probably very shocking yeah. because we, we oftentimes think, well, if I go to Mass, then, now, you know, be, be gentle here. If I go to Mass, then I sometimes erroneously believe that the receipt for going to Mass <laughs> is going to Holy Communion. Yeah. And that's just because that's that's kind of cause and effect how mm-hmm. we, we can become. But but that is not yeah. what the Eucharist is, right? And that's also not our reason for going. Right. Yeah. We we go to to empty ourselves completely at the altar. Like I say, bring all your crud and bring all your joys. Mm-hmm. And you lay them at the foot of the altar as the priest takes the bread and wine on the other side of the rail and brings it into the Holy of Holies and begins to offer it, he's not just offering that bread and wine that your stewardship helped to purchase, but he's also bringing all your crud and all your joys and he is putting that on the altar as well. Mm-hmm. And and so that is very, very important for us to understand. And if that is indeed the case, then the holy exchange that takes place as I bring all of my crud and my joys to the altar and the Lord gives me himself. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Pope Pius X in 1905 uh, quotes the Council of Trent. He, he says, The Holy Council wishes indeed that at each Mass the faithful who are present should communicate, not only in spiritual desire, but sacramentally by the actual reception of the Eucharist. So he's recapitulating what the Council of Trent in the 1500s was, was hoping would become the, the norm in the case. And he says there are reasons that, that this has kind of fallen out of practice. But he says that the practice of frequent and daily communion may be carried out with greater prudence and more fruitful merit. Um, again, with the confessor's advice, right? So we, we don't presume to receive the Blessed Sacrament, but we make sure that, that we're disposed to do so. Um, and so he says, right, frequent and daily communion as a practice uh, most earnestly desired by Christ our Lord and by the Catholic Church should be open to all the faithful of whatever rank and condition of life so that no one who is in the state of grace and who approaches the holy table with a right and devout intention can be prohibited therefrom. Mm-hmm. Now now notice what is being said there, in the state of grace, mm-hmm. right? In whatever rank and condition of life uh, with right and devout intention. And so this is what we believe as Catholics even today is that we must be in the state of grace. So if a person who is, is, uh, is guilty of a venial sin or multiple venial sins, these are non-serious sins that, that are spoken of in the scriptures, then the Eucharist is a healing balm for that. Yeah. But if we are guilty of serious sin, if we have violated one of the Ten Commandments, if we have violated one of the precepts of the church, and we have not gone to sacramental reconciliation, we are bound... We are bound to go to reconciliation. We are bound to go to the sacrament of penance and reconciliation in order to to become uh, ready to receive the sacrament. We would call that the state of grace, which means Mm -hmm. that I've received the sacramental grace of forgiveness of my mortal sins, and now I am am ready to present myself, still unworthy, but I'm ready to present myself to the Lord so that this exchange of persons can take place in the Eucharist, Mm -hmm. you know? It's kind of like if you think about a, a friend, a friend in a relationship. If I'm like, if I'm holding back forgiveness from my friend, mm-hmm. I can still go to the coffee shop with them, but we can't have an exchange of persons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can't. 
And it's not, the Lord never withholds forgiveness from us, but right. we always withhold ourselves from it. Yeah. Right. I'm thinking like, I'm thinking of my brain's got about to come out my mouth. So Ooh, go uh, for it. Go for it. So, but if we're looking at the state of how the faithful view the sacrament, right? The, mm -hmm. the sacrament of sacraments, the Eucharist and you know, the lack of belief in what it is, how do we see that trickle down into the other sacraments? Like confession. Well, mm -hmm. I don't really need to go to confession. Mm -hmm. You know, I could just walk up and get and yeah. get the Eucharist. You know, what does that look like for the sacrament of matrimony? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, is okay, well, uh, I can't really see what goes on in the graces and so I mean, really is it a sac what does that look like for the sacrament of holy orders? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, when we look at what is the source and summit of our faith, what is the piece de resistance of what we what mm -hmm. we are, what makes us who we are and if we lack faith in that, mm -hmm. if we lack belief in that, do we see too how it trickles into absolutely the rest mm -hmm. of our sacraments? Yeah, if, yeah, if I don't believe in the Eucharist, right. then, then it means that I really don't believe in the rest of the sacraments. Right, yeah. and and you know when you're talking about the need to go to confession, right? How many people don't go to confession? I don't like it. Well, yeah, nobody likes going. And, I don't. And I don't like it out, <laughs> until I'm on the other side of it. Yeah. Nobody likes going to the doctor either. Yeah. But at some point, if you don't go, you're going to die. <laughs> Like mm -hmm. you need that, you need and that's, it. And you know? that's the thing is if we do not avail ourselves of the sacraments, then we spiritually die. Right. And we're basically just kind of zombies walking around trying to be amoral. Right. Yeah. But, but the more and more we get away from the sacramental life of the church and everything our God is trying to impart to us, right. the more we just die a little bit more every day. Yeah. Right. And, and that's really what hell is. Mm -hmm. Hell is not desiring the gifts of God and saying, I'll do it myself. Yeah. I'll just mm -hmm. do it myself. Yeah. And that's really hell is, is everybody walking around saying, no, no, I'll like, do it myself. It. Yeah. I'll do it. it myself. When the mm -hmm. great physician is saying, uh, you make an appointment, come to me, I will give you the medicine. I will feed you. I will heal you. You know, and we're like walking around with our leg falling off going, uh, uh. I got it. I got it myself. I got this. We don't good. got nothing, my That's friends. Right. Yeah. Not a thing. So, and yep. which, well, and I was just going to say, like, which means that sometimes it's going to be incumbent upon me to realize, right, I'm not in a place mm -hmm. to receive the and Eucharist. I, and I ought not to do so. And I ought not to go. And it's going to be uncomfy yeah. for mm -hmm. me to sit my butt in the pew mm -hmm. while everyone else mm -hmm. is making their way <laughs> up through the communion line and not worry about, you know, well, why is she sitting down? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if I choose to go up and receive a blessing or something, mm -hmm. fine. But like to not worry about the fact that uh, mm -hmm. what other people might think, yeah. right? But to remember that it's about the communion, yeah. right? And the fact that what's happening there in the consecration mm -hmm. is not really, it's not about me, right. right? It happens regardless of me and it happens still for me, right? even though I can't receive it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that Jesus loves the fact that's right. that yeah. I abstain mm -hmm. from receiving him when I am not able to. That's right. And, and, and graces can be imparted because of that. Right. Yeah. You know, there, there are people in any number of situations that, that cannot participate in the Eucharistic life of the church in its fullness and ought not to do so. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the Lord isn't 
giving them the grace is necessary so that they can amend their lives. Mm -hmm. That's actual grace, which is distinct from sacramental grace. And so, you know, it's important to note that even if a person is, is unable to receive Holy Communion, if they're Catholic, they're not excused from the obligation to go to mass because mass again is not about us. It's about what we owe to God. Mm -hmm. We owe God everything all of our lifeblood we owe to him and part of that is worshiping him in spirit and in truth in the way that he asks of us and so what i have also found in my life as a priest is that folks who who come to mass and perhaps aren't able or they become aware that that there's some something they have to work through or they need to go to to confession being arrested with that truth may cause some sorrow but Boy, oh boy, does the Lord use that sorrow to to bring us up, right? Yeah. It was it was Peter got, getting caught in himself yeah. that caused him to sink into the Sea of Galilee, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't until Jesus grasps his hand and helps him up. Oh, Peter, why did you doubt? You know, yeah. oftentimes we can doubt that the Lord wants us if we say, I, I couldn't possibly go to confession. Yeah. I couldn't possibly meet with the priest and see what's going on in my marital situation. Absolutely you can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely you can and you should. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what the church is here for. We're, we're not, We're not. A, Pope Francis has said this, right? It's a field hospital. Yeah. It's not a museum for saints. It's a hospital yeah. for sinners. Mm-hmm. And, and even though you may not be able to receive the Eucharist, you ought not to to keep away from the proximity to the Eucharist. Because every time you're in the proximity of the Eucharist, our Lord, your creator, he's going to do what he does. He's going to get graces to you in the way that will call you deeper into communion with him. That's why when I see people, when I see people, which is not very often, because let's be honest, I am not looking at anybody else during communion. And those of you who are, Mm -hmm. worry about yourself, okay? (laughs) But when I do notice notice that someone is not going to commune, I don't care whatever reason Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. I want to get like, I want to like fist bump them and be like, yes, look at you. Look Mm -hmm. at you go. Because that takes great love and great courage that's right and like uh, great well yeah great love to be able to say i'm here for you jesus and i'm gonna get as close as i can but you know but there's a there's a beautiful saying that the uh well i was told one time that the the young people in ireland when they're about to receive communion their first communion they sing this song and in the song they say uh, something along the lines of Cade Malay Falte, which means a hundred thousand welcomes. Mm-hmm. And so I often think about that when I look at my own self. A hundred thousand welcomes, Jesus, for you into my heart, into my like as they're going up to communion, they're singing this song. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what yep. it does my heart look like? And if it's not like if it is not a place to receive the Lord of the universe, then I am not I, like Yeah. That's no right. thank you, no thank you, Lord. Like I will let me clean it up a little bit, right? Come, uh, and I'm yeah. going to come back. And one of the English translations of the Adorote Devote, which is probably my favorite Eucharistic hymn, um, the, the English translation is, live more fully in my heart, be my constant guest. Mm-hmm. Is, is my heart a constant guest room for the Lord? Yeah. yeah. And, and if it's not a suitable guest room, then, then I need to go, as a priest, I need to go to sacramental reconciliation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you've heard me say it on the show before, I say it again. I have to go to confession. In fact, I'm overdue. <laughs> the the <laughs> Pope yeah. goes to confession. Absolutely. That's exactly Hello, right. Hello, like mm-hmm. frequently. So I, I guess in the brief time that we have left, maybe talk about some of the things that the ordinary Joe and Jane Catholic yeah. can do 
to defend the Eucharist from attack mm-hmm. and to to kind of get into that that worthiness cycle of yeah. like though I am unworthy what is it that makes me objectively able to approach the august sacrament of the Eucharist yeah so I guess the first thing is go to confession, go to confession. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean oh my gosh the, every church and we talked about this a million times every church you know, provides confession at some point. You just got to figure out when it is and then get in line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The internet and is usually good for that. We're, if, we're getting better. Yeah. With, and with if that. not, most of the times, if you find a priest and you say, father, will you hear my confession? I have never done that. And they've been like, uh, no, sorry. Mm-hmm. I would rather not, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. give you the sack. No. If it's two right? and a half minutes before mass, I might Maybe. say, risky. wait, Maybe, yeah. right. Risky. But yeah. go, you had like, Nobody's going to come to you often and say, would you like to receive confession? Mm-hmm. Do you do that? Are you like a mobile confessor? There, there have been a couple of times that I've said you need to go to confession and the person will go, oh, well, this is what you, th- I know who you are. They always <laughs> say, father, it's going to take forever. I'm like, oh, that mm-hmm. means you're ready. Let's that go. means you, you know? have all and the time you know in the world. Spoiler alert, it doesn't take long at all yeah. mm-hmm. because a person who says that has just been waiting for the invitation. So every yeah. now and then, every now and then the spidey sense will, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll wake up and but but typically I wait for the person to initiate. Father, can I go to confession? Yeah. I've never met a priest who says no. Like I said, yeah. unless it's like two minutes before mass yeah. starts. In which you case, know. you know, find him after mass. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. But I find it's helpful because like I am the I'm the person who like I know I need to go to confession, but I might not think about it until I'm actually at mass and I'm like, Oh yeah. dang it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need to go to confession. So like I I've started just putting it in my calendar. Yeah. Like yeah. every month every three weeks, whatever it is, like yeah. whatever your kind of cycle is for confession, just put it in your calendar. It might seem weird and, and maybe that's like strange. You're like, what do other people say it? Like whatever, yeah. like whatever works your, for you. Make your an appointment with yourself. Life, yeah. Your spiritual life is more important than even your gym schedule. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> there I said it, you know? Uh, so yeah, go to confession. Take your family to mass. Yes. Uh, young parents, y'all, this is not optional. Take your family to mass because let me tell you, fathers, especially the more you make your faith, the practice of your faith, the center of your life, Mm -hmm. the more the kid, your kids are going to understand that it is important. Why? Because you know, it's important Mm -hmm. and you're actually, believe it or not, going to have a little bit less of a trouble whenever they hit those teenage years is if you just simply model the behavior, Mm -hmm. teenagers are going to be teenagers. Yeah, but but modeling that behavior and then taking the time to learn what the church teaches that drives us to mass right in our heart that that makes all the difference, too. Yeah. So, like I say, you can look up the Baltimore Catechism on the Eucharist and start Mm -hmm. to learn the, the questions and answers. The Catechism of the Catholic Church does a really good job about that as well. Catholic Answers, we'll put a link in the show notes, has a great little tract on Christ in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. But I'd also um, go to the source, go to John chapter 6 and read what Jesus tells us about the Eucharist, right? Yeah. You can also go to Matthew uh, chapter 26, verses 26 through 30. Read what he says about this is truly his body and blood, yeah. flesh and divinity. And then read the account of the crucifixion and see with your own eyes in the pages of scripture what he has done for you, though we do nothing to deserve it. Yeah. And if you do these things and you pour your heart into this the same way that you would pour your heart into a favorite hobby or your morning coffee mm-hmm. or even maybe your morning commute, which sometimes gets more heart than going to yeah. church on Sunday then the Lord will always, always minister to you. Mm. 
I'm reminded of the Infant of Prague. Uh, the Infant of Prague is this little, this little statue that got lost in a war in Croatia, uh, yeah. in Prague. And uh, a monk was, was sifting through the rubble of, of the war, and he found this little statue of, of the infant Jesus, and his hands had been removed. And the little infant of Prague, the statue, spoke to the, the priest. And, and he said, he said very simply, you know, um, <laughs> he said, uh, if, you, if you have pity on me, then I will have mercy on you. If you console my heart that's suffering, then I will have mercy on you. If you give me hands, then I will give you peace. And the more you honor me, the more I will bless you. Mm. And that is true today. The Lord's hands, one of his hands is in blessing. The other hand is, is upholding the universe. Yeah. If we give him hands, if we allow him to be, have dominion over us, then we will know peace. It's going to be the same in your family. If we allow the Lord to, to truly take root in us, then that's where it comes about. Yeah. And the more we honor him, the more he will bless us. Yeah. That's what it's all about, and that's what the Eucharist is about, and that's why it's so important. That's why we're called to him in that way. Yeah. My goodness. Well, uh, hopefully this was a helpful program for you because, again, there's a lot swirling around. Yeah. But uh, that's why we, uh, you know, turn on the big old Jeff Star One and, uh, <laughs> and come do you week in and week out. As always, the Catholic Underground made possible by viewers, listeners, prayer warriors, benefactors like you, huh? An official undergrounder uh, is what you could be mm -hmm. when you grow up and you want to be one. So go ahead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just jump online and uh, go to catholicundergroundcom slash donate. Sure enough. And you can also help us out by letting others know about us. Remember to like us, heart us, star us on your platform of choice. And if you uh, have a podcasting service you mm -hmm. subscribe to or listen to, uh, make sure you leave a, a review, please. That that really does help us out. It sure does. It sure does. Thank you, Jeff. Our sure. panelists have been uh, Kathleen Lee. She's always there. I am. Olivia Galino. She's also an immovable object here at the, in the studio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jeff Blackwell is our technical director. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Father, always a pleasure. Ed Ball is in the video cave, and Jim Hayes is our research assistant with his crew in the lab. And you know me. I'm Father Chris Decker. You can follow me on Twitter at Digital Catholic and Instagram as well. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Underground, cutting through the noise so that you can find that still small voice. He's present in the tabernacle. We, my friends, will see you next time.